Broadcasting from the Any Hour Services Podcast Studios, I'm your host, Mike Wilson, and you're listening to In the House. For those of you who are new to the show, In the House is a podcast about the major systems in the house, electrical, plumbing, heating, air conditioning. Each week, I'm joined by a panel of experts. We pick a topic and we discuss it in depth. It's meant to be informative and hopefully bring you some value. In this episode, we're going to be talking about refrigerant, how it works, how often you need to be adding refrigerant to your system, and changes with refrigerant that are coming or here, or I don't know, whatever. I've got Dick, Kevin, and Matt with me today. Um, these guys manage the HVAC departments at Any Hour Services. Welcome back, guys. Good to be back. That's right. Nice. Uh, let's start out with the basics. What is refrigerant and how does it work? So, refrigerant. You forgot that you were going to be the one <laughs> talking, right? I, I did. I did. You got to give me like a, a cue. Like a... I, I made eye contact. That was the cue. Yeah, but I was looking this way. I know. You should be looking at me. I know. Okay. All right. So, refrigerant, <laughs> in a nutshell, just to, to keep it simple. Uh, it's the material that's put inside of your AC system, right? That uh, is put under. Yes, you look like you want to say something. Uh, no, I was waiting for you to finish your explanation, and then I was going to have you go back and clarify some things. This is my like. I'm really into what you're saying. Folks. Oh, okay. It just it, it scared me for a second. I heard I heard a breath and was like, Oh, here it comes. <laughs> it, it, it's coming, but like, no. Okay, start over. Okay, starting. Not starting over, but like, go ahead. It's, a, it's the material you put in your air conditioner. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's, it's a, a liquid. It's, it's chosen for its uh, properties that it has. Um, so when it's put under certain pressures and things like that, uh, to get the reaction that you get to create the cool, you know, you've got to have a change of state. When I say change of state, it's got to be able to go from a liquid to a gas and then back from a gas to a liquid. Okay. Right. And so it's the refrigerant that you use, they use the particular stuff because it's properties allow that to happen under conditions that can be controlled within the AC system. Right. Does that make sense? So it's a liquid. It's a liquid that gets put into those copper lines that mm -hmm. are running back and forth between the inside and outside unit. Correct. How does that liquid actually cool how does that how does it work so you've got a couple of sets of coils and you mentioned the copper lines right uh your line set you've got a bigger one and a smaller one you've got your condenser condensing coils that sit outside your evaporator coils that sit on top of the furnace where that so they can be uh on top downstream from the uh, the blower motor right and then uh in your compressor your condenser about by the condensing coils you've got a compressor and what it's basically doing is it's pushing that liquid up to the, con the evaporator coil, shoving this uh, refrigerant, right, through a little teeny metering device, you know. Uh, they've got a couple of different ones. You've got fixed, fixed holes, right, and you've got, uh, they call them a piston, and you've got uh, expansion valves, different types of expansion valves that they use to be able to control the uh, flow that's going through there. But essentially, you're putting lots of pressure up on a little tiny pinhole, right, and then as it's pushing through into the evaporator coils, the, the process is it changes as it's going through the coils from liquid into a vapor. And that process actually gets really, really cold. Um, you ever play with a CO2 car? Yeah. CO2 cartridges, you ever puncture them and you know, get done and the thing's freezing cold, mm -hmm. right? It, it's kind of a similar, not exactly the same, but it's, it's a similar just to let you, you know, imagine kind of what it's like or what so it is. So out at the, uh, this liquid, that you're putting into the system, 
when it's at a certain temperature or a certain pressure, it's in a liquid form. When you change the pressure, that actually changes its state into a gas and changes the temperature to cold. Mm -hmm. That colder gas is pumped through the coils inside the house. And as the air blows across that coil, the heat transfer occurs and it gets really cold. And that temperature change, that heat transfer to that turns that gas into a liquid that gets pumped back out to the condensing uh, unit outside and the process just repeats. So, so it's, it's a liquid, right? Okay. And then as it gets drawn back to the compressor, when it gets into the compressor, or, sorry, it's a vapor. That's, it's becoming a vapor as it's going through the evaporator coil, right? Okay. And so then it draws it back to the compressor and the whole purpose of that compressor is to compress. It compresses that vapor back down into a liquid and then pushes it back through and just repeats the cycle over and over again. Gotcha. So at what point is it a, so it's a vapor all the way to the house and back, but then when it's running through the coils outside, it's been compressed into a liquid. Is that right? So when the evaporator coil, that's where it's going from liquid to vapor, right? The outside so so it's pushing, it's pushing from the condenser to the house, to the evaporator coil. So right. inside the house, exactly. it's pushing vapor. It's pushing liquid. Liquid. And so the liquid gets up into right there at the metering device, and it hits that. And that's where you, you, people talk about a high side and a low side. Your high side's that side that's got it's a lot higher pressure because that's where it's pushing through, and through. Everything's pushing through that little teeny tiny orifice, that little teeny tiny hole that's there, right? Yeah. It converts itself from liquid into a vapor, right, in the, in the coils there. And it's like you mentioned pressure. Um, and one of the properties that we were talking about with refrigerants is the boil off point, right? Um, water boils at 212 degrees, right? Uh, refrigerant boils, the, in the different ones, they have different boiling points, right? And based on the pressure, based on the temperature, it actually changes up and down slightly, okay? Mm. But the property of that allows us to be able to regulate that. But that whole process is what creates the cooling effect, right? And then like you're talking about the fan blows across that and it the the cooling it picks up the heat from the air that's blown across it so the air that's coming out is cooler now going on the other side coming back you've got that fatter line and the reason it's bigger is because it's actually bringing vapor it's 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 expanded right and so it's bringing that back to the compressor to the to the condensing coils and it actually goes through the condensing coils and it's actually that whole process over there creates heat it's the opposite mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so you've got your compressor out there though and its job is to take that vapor condense it back into uh liquid form and then start the process over again and send it back to the house okay so then it's liquid that's going to the house that's really cold so the li yeah the liquid is actually warm usually this is what tripped me up when i first got into the industry understanding this principle well let's let's dissect it because like i <laughs> i want to understand because like yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, and you know, if there's any homeowners listening, we apologize. But like, uh, you know, this is this is one of those. This is this is an example of why you have somebody that goes to school and understands all this and knows how to do it. But I think it's good to unpack it. Cause I'm I'm naturally curious, and I just want to like understand, you know, that science behind it. So I assumed that the the stuff in the house at that. Uh, evaporative coil that was when it's at its coldest you, you know what's funny is you can uh, you can go outside and you, you mentioned the copper lines if you go out there and get the bare lines and while the AC is running and say it's middle of July and it's really hot outside and you touch that that uh, 
small line. Yes. That's the one that's taking the refrigerant to the house yep. to make cold. Yep. And it actually will feel hot. Really? Oh, yeah. And in uh, reverse that, the other one is actually going to feel cool to the touch, right? That's the one so that's bringing odd. it back. Yeah, that, that little one that's hot, it can be 110, 120 degrees. Oh, yeah. Easy. All right. Well, I'm not a scientist or a physicist, so we're just going to we're going to say the way that refrigerant works, you put it into the system magic. and when the air in the house is it's magic, it's an illusion. When the air in the house is blowing across it, the air is warmer than whatever's happening in that coil and that's how it makes the air colder and then when it goes back out to the outside unit, it's getting rid of the heat that it brought from inside the house. Mm -hmm. But so knowing that and understanding that it's actually sending hot refrigerant towards your evaporator coil. Uh -huh. And that just makes that process of the change when it changes in its state, just that much more interesting to me because it is, it's, it's taking it from 110 degrees and dropping it down to, you know, 50, 45 degrees. So, is the little pinhole where it creates a vapor and that process causing it cold, is that in the house somewhere? Yes. That is in the house. Right before the evaporative coil. Right, right as it's going into the coils. It'll okay. have right before it. And some of them you can see it, some of them you can't, some of it's internal. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just right there. And so it is actually feeding, spraying okay. right into the coil that is directly above the furnace. That makes sense. Matt, you, what were you saying? How did you wrap your head around it when you were... Uh, going through it. <laughs> well, I always just thought it pumped cold air inside the house. And so when I found out that the refrigerant going into the house was hot and it was going out to the condenser cold, it just, it, it totally confused the heck out of me because it's against everything that you would think how it works. And so once I realized how it worked and the pressure, the chemicals and how it, it went through that tiny little hole, the metering device, and then the airflow going by it, just the change of temperature and pressure and everything. Um, once I understood that, it made sense. But yeah, it took me a while to, to grasp on why it would going in hot and coming out cold. I think the average person probably thinks the way, you know, you and, and probably I thought like you put something in and I think in my mind, I'm like, you put something in that's cold and that's what circulates around and makes it like cold inside. But anyway, you put something in and then it just, it gets cold. Another thing that I think a lot of people associate with refrigerant is that like okay well i gotta i gotta top off my system they 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 think of it at least if you've been in a house where i'm growing up every summer maybe sometimes a couple times a summer uh you know my parents would have the hvac guy come out and and put more refrigerant in and uh you know because knowing what i know now it obviously had a leak somewhere <laughs> but uh but we didn't fix it we were renting the house you know and the landlord didn't fix it but so we put more refrigerant in but for people out there that are experiencing that where maybe they think like it's normal to add refrigerant in how often do you need to be putting refrigerant into the system it's a closed loop so you should never have to we get never. a lot never if the system's working right, you should never add refrigerant to Correct. it. Correct. So the, this refrigerant that's put in should not get used up. Correct. It should just live there and do its job. Yeah, it recycles. So where does it go if you're, if you're needing to add refrigerant? Into the sky. Okay. <laughs> so it disappears. It's got a leak somewhere. Okay. So uh, where are the where's it leaking where are the most common places that it's leaking the most common place is definitely inside the coil inside on top of your furnace so the coil itself yes usually has a leak somewhere. yeah the way they get the way they get some of these efficiencies and everything they make the copper tubing inside that thinner and thinner 
and the the pressures have gotten higher and higher. So they start getting leaks or corrosion on the the copper or movement, the vibration that causes those joints that have been welded. They break free. So usually it's in the coil. I, I, I'm just going to guess 80% of the time. It's pretty – I mean, there's no facts on you, that. But you, Sorry, you can't have install error too. Oh, Guys, yeah. when they did the install, they just didn't make sure that uh, their joints were brazed properly and uh, maybe didn't follow the right processes in – um, pressure testing and evacuating the system and everything else all necessary before you actually put refrigerant in the system. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's, there's a good chance that that's, you see a lot of that, but you know, it's like Richard said, a lot of times the coils that ends up being the issue. I'll look if, if I'm going to a system that's got, we're having to add quite frequently. The first thing I'll do is I'll actually look at the joints of the installers and you can see a clean weld, see if they, you know, brazed it properly. If it's really blobby and really terrible i'm going to check the joints first and then i'm going to tear in the coil but if i see good clean brazed joints they probably did a great job with their joints is it like a uh, is it like a gas leak where if the system is running and you can see the joints and you put like soapy water on it will it like bubble yes oh yeah it will mm -hmm. okay um as long as it still has stuff in the system if it's uh, if it's all bled out and so depending on the size of the leak and everything else if it's all bled out then you won't have anything too bubble out you a know? lot of times too if it's in the coil and the fins itself it's hard to bubble and see it mm -hmm. um, and that's why we've got electronic leak detectors but going back to our filter discussion a few weeks ago i remember talking bringing this up one that if the filter is dirty and the coil freezes i've seen that ice go in there and freeze and then it expands obviously when it freezes then it cracks the coil gotcha kind of like it does do a sidewalk mm -hmm. well not only that but like i mean you think about um a frozen water pipe a copper pipe when the water freezes that expansion causes that copper to go out and then that coming back and forth causes a you know it can cause a pinhole leak or whatever but you have those same pressures but on the outside so it's like pushing that copper in and out and expansion so i, I never really thought of it that way that's good um so go ahead what one of the things that we get a lot is well if we add refrigerant in a system let's say in the fall and someone's like oh it hasn't been working it's a little low we'll put some in at the request in the springtime it can still be low again because a lot of questions because well i haven't used it so how's it leaking it's kind of like a tire on a car you may have a leaking tire just because you're not using it doesn't mean it's going to be going down because that's a pressurized system you will lose that refrigerant year round that makes sense mm -hmm. when you explain it that way um so how do you test for leaks we mentioned the bubbles matt uh matt said that you've got like an electronic leak detector like how does how does this work how do you find a leak or did you say electronic so i don't actually know if you did or not yeah so i i said electronic i had an electronic that actually it's basically just a sniffer so it detects the chemicals and so you run it around the the coil and it's uh -huh. it's smelling for the refrigerant yes. or it's detecting the refrigerant and makes an audible noise it makes noise lights flash it tells you to run and hide no just kidding tell you <laughs> run and hide. well a refrigerant leak in the house is not as dangerous as absolutely not as uh like a, a gas leak yeah. or carbon monoxide leak no right? no so so uh i've heard that there are like you can pump something into the system that's like got a, a neon glow to it what is what is that so UV dye. Okay. Yeah, so it's a chemical we can put in there, and then we use a black light, and uh, we can try to find it that way. So we just inject it in the system and then let it run. for. But We like to run it for 24 hours, and then we can come back with our light and our special little glasses and try to track the, the leak down and see where we're at. So if most of the leaks – because if there's a leak in the weld where the joints are, to me that sounds like, okay, well, that's that's a – 
fairly simple fix. You just re-weld it or, or patch it or I don't know. That's yeah, it, it sounds simple more simple than it is. It's, yeah. well, it's a lot it, more in-depth. It's, it's Sorry, what I mean is like you've got a technician that knows what they're doing. It should be simple. Like yeah. that, the, where I'm going with that is it sounds more straightforward than if you have a leak in the coil. Because in my mind, the way I envision a coil is that like if there's a problem with the coil, you replace the coil. Um, because there's so many little fins. If you had a leak somewhere along one of those lines, like, can you patch the, the coil itself? Just depends on where it's at. There's times where it's right out in front, like a joint that didn't get welded very good from the factory. We may be able to patch it. Well, that's different than like being, being in the fins. Yeah, in if the it's fins. in the fins, we're not going to try to patch it because that's just going to be a warranty issue. And we're not doing anyone a favor by trying to take a shortcut. Hopefully it's not super old. You know, because a lot of manufacturers, they'll have 10-year parts warranty. And, and if they get a leak in their coil, a lot of times they'll cover the coil. You know, maybe not the labor, but sure. at least cover some of it. Hey, anything you can save, right? Oh, yeah. So I do people need to register their system when it's installed to have that warranty? Or are manufacturers pretty good about, um, like, it's their equipment and they're going to stand behind it? Nowadays, most manufacturers will come with a five-year warranty, right? Just for anybody. Um, there's, and I'm, I think most of them, if you register, you're the original buyer of the equipment and you register it to yourself um, through their system. And I, I know Carrier and Payne and uh, Ream and s several brands, this is the case, right? Um, you can actually bump that up to 10-year parts coverage, right? Just by getting in and registering it. Most of the time, though. And no extra cost? No extra cost. So um, if, if you don't register it, they'll stand behind the equipment five years out. But yeah, if you register correct. it itself, as you as the original owner, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll warranty it for 10 years. Which it's really, honestly, it's really important to do it, in my opinion. You, uh, you can go supply house, say they got uh, equipment that's been sitting on the shelf for a while. I mean, you can have stuff that's been sitting there for a year, two years right? That just, it was at the bottom of the stack and it just hasn't sold yet. Mm -hmm. And then it gets installed. And if you don't register it so that it, they know the install date, they're just going to go off the serial number and you'll actually only get the three years That's of that warranty. On the, exactly. Yeah. And so it is, it's important to make sure you get that done. I mean, it's something that we do for our customers, sure. right? And there's, there's other companies that'll do that, but it's something to definitely ask about. And, and so the coil, if there was a leak in the coil, that's usually covered under that, that uh, warranty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So there shouldn't be a leak. You shouldn't have to recharge the system. Um, is there, so we say it's just kind of wear and tear. Is there like a, a time in the life of it where those things start to wear out? Or is that a more robust component that should, you know, like the heat exchanger should go for the life of it or, you know, something like that? A lot of that honestly depends on the maintenance on the equipment. Um, I've seen some that are a couple years old, like I was saying, that it's just you get in there and they're as rusty as can be because they haven't cleaned the filters, changed the filters, haven't taken care of it, and they're not going to last. You get other ones that are 30 years old that customers have taken very well, taken care of it, and there's nothing wrong with them. Okay. So maintenance is big, and then honestly, yeah, that's probably one of the bigger things. Well, yeah, along those lines, you know, if you're not, if you're not, uh, changing your filters and everything else. You know, you mentioned the coil becomes an ice block and it can cause, you know, the ice to swell and whatever else. Well, your coil sits on top of the furnace, on top of the heat exchanger. All winter long, it's heating up and cooling down and heating up and cooling down. The same 
uh, effect that'll cause your heat exchanger to crack. Well, that's going through your coil also, right? It's and just so the opposite. It's it, like going from really, really cold to not as cold, but you still have expansion and contraction going exactly. on. Exactly. So my point of bringing that up is they're designed to do that. You know, they've got engineers and they've, they've got this planned out and whatever else, as long as it's being maintained. Hmm. And so if you're running it without ever changing your filter and it's running super, super hot, well, the engineers didn't design it to run super, super hot, right? So yeah, the maintenance on them is huge. It's going to cause that pressure to go up like we we're discussing that thinner copper. It's going to have a higher pressure. It's gonna, they're not designed for that. So, What are the different kinds of refrigerant that are out there? Because this will lead us into a discussion with uh, you know, some changes that have been made. But what are the most common uh, refrigerants used in residential applications today? R22 like, was one of the more famous ones quite a few years ago. Now it's 410A. Those are the two that you'll see most in, in homes. Now, I hear... I think a word that a lot of people probably know, Freon, mm -hmm. you know, instead of refrigerant, they're like, ah, I need more Freon and, and whatever. What is Freon? Is that something different than R22 and 410A? Freon's just the makeup of the refrigerant. So some of them are considered a Freon because of the chemical compounds. I call them all Freon. It's probably, it's not technically correct, but sure. I call them all Freon. Yeah. It's just a habit that I have that I really should break because I say Freon, someone may say, oh, I don't want that stuff. It's just what people understand are familiar yeah. with. And so, yeah, no, that makes sense. R410A, it's actually a Puron, not a Freon, right? But I mean, gotcha. So, so, all right. So I've heard that there are some changes that were made in regulations around refrigerant um, and things that we can and can't use. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what is going on uh, with that and what we can and can't use and, and why. Kevin? So several years ago. <laughs> you, you read an article, right? You're an expert. <laughs> I saw him getting ready to talk over there. So I'm like, uh. Well, I was going to get back to, you know, it's like you mentioned several years ago, they, they started phasing out R22. Okay. And I remember um, I'd been doing this for a few years when they very first started bringing up R410A, and I remember thinking, well, this is stupid. You know, why are we doing this? This stuff works perfectly good. Um, but uh, they started to make the change to its, its environmental issues, right? Um, and, you know, they're, as much as technicians are taught and you try to minimize the amount of refrigerant that actually gets put off in the air, we've just been talking about leaks, right? Mm. This stuff, it gets into the air. And so they, the purpose is to try and make it so that they have something that's more safe for the environment, right? Um, so anyway, they were making the change to R410A, and I remember thinking, what in the world? This is, this is crazy, because now all of a sudden I had to have two different sets of gauges. But back in the day, I mean, we were still installing R22, still servicing R22, and it wasn't even that big of a deal. I mean, the, the number of R410 units that you would run into, just there just weren't that many. And... Uh, but it gradually went from that to, well, now we're doing tons of R410 and R22s are starting to disappear. And then it finally got to where they just said, okay, no more R22 units. We're, we're no longer gonna make R22 refrigerant, right? R410A is, this is the stuff, this is what everybody's going to industry-wide. And it was all based on federal regulations that were passed down through the EPA. And that's why the manufacturers had to go the way that they did to meet certain requirements, right? Okay, so those changes and things started happening in the 80s, and right? And then, uh, 
It wasn't that long ago. Well, well, so Port Ten has been around for quite a while, even the nineties. But in it was about two thousand seven ish was when they really started mandating that hey, we need to move over to the four ten A from the R twenty two. Gotcha. I can't remember if it's six or seven or eight, but it was right there. So Can I go back to the comment he just made. I think he just called you guys old. <laughs> well, I'd, when he said the '80s, I was like, um, "Yeah, well, I was alive in the '80s, but uh, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't doing refrigerant in the '80s." <laughs> you were throwing point. grasshoppers. I was, <laughs> I, was throwing, I was throwing grasshoppers in my parents' AC unit. <laughs> okay, so um, all right, so those changes were made going from R22 to 410A, uh, but there's changes that are happening now, right? Yes. So what's going on now? So in 2020, they've they've said that now. For the last several years, the amount of R22 being imported and made and all that's been limiting per year. And now with 2020, they've basically said not made, not imported. So now the amount of available R22 is just getting shorter and shorter. And the only way we have that is if we go change out an air conditioner that has R22, we we call, we recover it, we put it in a tank, we send it to manufacturer, they recycle it, clean it, and then they can resell it. So there's going to be limited, limited more of the R22 available. And so that's what's happening with the big change right now with R22 is because there's not going to be as much available. They still allow it to be, you know, if you've got an existing unit, they still allow you to service it and whatever else. But the, the goal is phase out of all R22. So it doesn't make R22 illegal. No. Um, it's just manufacturers can't uh, produce equipment that runs off it and the people that make the refrigerant, they're not allowed to. They can't do that. But any stuff that's still out there, it's not illegal for you to have a system that runs off of nope. it. It's not illegal for you to recharge it and buy the, the stuff. Because I honestly, like, you know, you see some HVAC contractors that try and uh, tell the story in a way that, like, tries to scare people into, like, replacing their, their systems because they're like, oh, you know, the end of the world's coming. You, this is illegal type mm-hmm. of thing, you know? No, it's definitely not illegal. We can still, if you got an R22 system, we can still service it as long as we have the refrigerant available. The, the biggest downside to the R22 refrigerant is it's amazing how much more expensive it is now because it's just, it's just harder. It, I mean, the process to get it and have it be usable stuff. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, basic market dynamics like yeah. supply and demand. When the supply goes down, the price is going to go up if the demand is there for it. And as long as there are still systems out there, which there are a lot of systems out there that use it. And so the shorter the supply, the more you're going to have to pay, especially if you have a system that is leaking mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're having to do that, the price to, to get that thing back up and running uh, the right way is going to get more and more expensive each year if you're in the habit of doing that. Yeah. So I pulled up some numbers. So in 2015 is when they really started mandating a change. And so they went from the allocation of 63 million uh, pounds of refrigerant in 2013, 2014 had 51 million, and then in 2015 they had 22 million. Hmm. I mean, they cut it in half from 14 to 15. I remember that price hike and that stuff. That was expensive stuff. Yeah. And then down to 18, 13, 9, and 4. Now here we are in 2020, zero. Hmm. So like I said, it's getting to be scare, more and more scarce. Matt, you were going to say something? I was just thinking about it earlier when we were talking about the leaks. Um, Anyway, there's, I've had quite a few customers that have talked about that. You know, they've had the guy come out every year and refrigerate or fill their refrigerant up. And, uh, honestly, if you have a customer or a customer out there, that's got somebody coming every year, then honestly, you might want to look at some, a different company because they shouldn't be doing that every year to the customer. That was just a thought I had earlier and it just popped back in my mind. Yeah. They should be, be taking care of the problem. So you don't have to deal with that. 
And I, I would add to that. If, if the company comes out there and it, every year if they tell you like, hey, you shouldn't have to be doing this. We need to like, you know, repair the system, find the leak or something like that. Now, you know, I mean, homeowners have the ability to say, no, I'm just going to put a couple hundred bucks of refrigerant in this thing and and call it good. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's that's their choice. But if you've got a company that comes out there and is like, no, that's just what we do. Just keep tap topping it off. That's that's not normal to to have to do that. Well, and we talked last time about uh, you get some of those systems where it, it. is overcharged it doesn't it's got too much refrigerant in it and they keep coming back and they keep putting it in so i mean you really want to make sure you're finding somebody that knows what they're doing that's a good point i mean i think homeowners go to their minds automatically go to like oh well it's not blowing the air isn't as cold as it used to be i must need more Gas. Refrigerant. More it's gas. Yeah, they, it's I need gas. more gas. Need some more gas yeah. in it. <laughs> Just put the are. gas in. <laughs> put the gas in. That's what we need. <laughs> so, yeah. So you, you might have some other issues going on there. Um, so let's. So with these changes that are being made uh, going to these new refrigerants, what does that mean uh, for the customer, for the end consumer? Besides, you know, like if you've got one of these older systems that's leaking, you know, refrigerant, the, the cost to put more refrigerant in is going to continue to go up. Are there any other consequences or things that, uh, that affect the customer? If they've got an R22 system, it's going to be an older system. I would be willing to bet it's not running as efficient as it once was when it was new. But other than that, I can't think of anything. Okay. That's part of the reason for these changes is it's not only just the, uh, the environmental issue, but it's also for efficiency reasons in the equipment itself. So the newer the equipment, the more efficient it's going to be. I remember when I first started doing this, we were installing uh, eight sear air conditioners, and then it went to ten, and now minimums thirteen sear. Um, you know, and then, then as far as the environmental change, I mean, the the hundred year global warming in the new refrigerants is incredibly lower than the uh, old refrigerants was. So uh, that's that's a good point with the global warming, like changes that were made before we started talking about global warming. They were they had to do with holes in the ozone that's why i was thinking of the 80s because in the 80s holes in the ozone was like a big deal you know uh and and now it's they they rate these refrigerants off of their impact to global warming is that right yes so um so so yeah i mean like because i mean it, it when contractors go out and try and i don't know strong arm but when they try and like communicate to the customer like hey because this has this refrigerant you need to replace it it's just i feel like that's a little misleading and if your system is working properly it really doesn't matter what refrigerant is being mandated or what refrigerant it's running on at the time because as an end consumer i want my house cold when it's hot outside I want my house warm when it's cold outside, right? They they don't necessarily worry about all the science and the mechanics behind it. Uh, but, ju- you know, just know if you're having to put refrigerant in, whatever kind of refrigerant in, that's not normal. You know, look for a leak, get it patched, do some things to get that taken care Two of. Two questions I always ask customers is how do you want reliability out of your system and do you want efficiency? If those both add up then your system you have that's older, they're not going to be that. You've got a 15-year-old air conditioner, it's not going to be as reliable. Friday night, it may break. It may last another 20 years. Don't know. But that's two questions I ask homeowners all, to, all the time. What are you looking for? System reliability and efficiency. So, It's all about the money. It's all, all about the homeowner, I'd say. 
I'm looking for it to be cold when it's hot outside. Right. <laughs> box of heat, box of cool, right? <laughs> I want to be comfortable. Give me, give me the gas. Get it's all I need. The inconvenience in my life. <laughs> but, but as far as everything goes, though, really, the it's the cost, the operating cost, the replacement cost, the the you know if you got to get a fixed cost, um, that's really what affects the the consumer the most because you know that eight sear that Matt was talking about that we were installing that many years ago. That's going to cool the house down. Mm-hmm. It'd cool the house down just fine. You'd get that when it's hot outside. It's going to be cool inside. But it, it is. It goes back to just But your electric expense. bill, your you know heating bill, like the bills that you pay each month. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes into you know the true cost of operating oh, yeah. a furnace and an air conditioner. Uh, most of the time go far beyond the initial cost of the installation. And the operation costs are the most expensive part. And so, uh, you know, my opinion it's it's if you have the means to do so it's worth investing a little bit more in a higher efficient system because even though you're paying more money up front it actually costs you less money to operate the system in the long run however many years you end up keeping it yeah it's it's always been interesting to me well since we've made a lot of these changes that uh, what years ago used to be an upgrade you'd pay for the upgraded price and now it's the it's the entry level. It's the, the bare bare bones. Yeah, they're moving to uh, going to be a minimum of 14 sear in our area here. I can't remember what year it is, but now it's 13 sear is the minimum, mm-hmm. but it's going to be 14 here. When you were talking about earlier about the ozone on with the refrigerant, they do rate them all at what's called a GWP, a global warming potential. And the older ones have, you know, thousands rankings. The newer ones are in the hundreds. Mm. So the, the risk of the, you know, potential of harming the ozone is much lower with this newer stuff that we're going to be switching to. If you, like right now, when you've got the, uh, whatever you said, R22, is that the, or 410A, that's the one that is starting to phase out, but it phased out R22, is that right? So R22 has been phased out. The 410 will be phased out here in a couple of years, 2023. Got it. So you've got different efficiencies in, you know, different brands, right? So if you've got a 13 sear or 14 sear versus a, um, 20 sear, 19 sear, whatever. Do those use the same refrigerant or as you get up into those higher efficient systems, do you use a different refrigerant that has, that gives you that efficiency or is it more just the um, mechanics and the way it's engineered? So your higher efficiency air conditioners are going to be the 410A because that's a new, you know, new, new technology that hasn't been around as many years you'll still find some 16 sears, some 19 sears with the R22 around. I remember installing those with, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You'll still find them around, like meaning they're at homes that are still yes. working. You don't install those. No, we can't even get them. But Correct. like I said, anything that's high efficient now, I mean, you've got I think 25 or 27 sear on your average residential system right I, now. It's going to be 410. I guess, I guess my, my question was, uh, right now, you, the, if you have a 13 sear and if you install 25 sear, it's the exact same refrigerant. Got it. Okay. So that makes sense. So, so the efficiency of the system has more to do with the way that it's engineered yes. and built than it does with the refrigerant that it's running it's inside. That, that process we described at the beginning, it's the way that it gets that process done. Got it. And when the, as they come up with new refrigerant, more efficient, then they can continue to raise that bar of, you know, they may get into the 30s on the residential or whatever. Cool. Well, this is a nice little episode. Do you guys have anything to add on uh, refrigerant before we wrap? I'm good. You, did you uh, have I was going to say, not necessarily on the refrigerant, but like when you were going back to efficiencies, you know, sure. um, some customers, it may not, it may not make sense to go way up high efficient, but uh, our comfort advisors can actually help, help 
homeowners realize, you know, if it's worth spending the extra money for the higher efficient, depending on usage and stuff like that. So when you're meeting with someone, when it is time to replace your system and you are speaking with someone, make sure that they are walking you through the process of uh, helping you understand how much you're spending and what it costs to like own things and, and the advantages and disadvantages of regular efficiency, high efficiency, things like that. Yeah. And the other thing is when you are hiring somebody to do repairs on your equipment, make sure they're certified, especially going forward. Um, it's going to be even more critical to make sure that they're, they know what they're doing. So we've talked about certifications before that HVAC uh, technicians have. What is the certification that they need to make sure that uh, a technician has? It's a 608 EPA certification. So make sure they're EPA certified. Are there different levels of EPA certification? Or yes. is it just like, hey, can someone call up and say, hey, are your technicians EPA certified? There are different levels. There's one, two, three, or there's universal. Universal covers all of those. And then depending on the size of the unit and stuff like that. So if you're, if you're telling someone to make sure their technician is certified, how, what do they ask when they call a company? Most or what do they ask to the technician? Most people in the That would be awkward. <laughs> are you this? Nope. Mm, get out. Matt said so. <laughs> um, no, I forgot what you said. Uh, what, what does a customer or a homeowner need to ask when they're like on the phone with a company saying, hey, I need this done. And then they're saying, hey, what do your technicians have this certification? What is that certification? Well, that's right. So most HVAC guys... Um, they're, when they get their EPA certification, they're going to get the EPA certification they need to handle the home residential refrigeration. So if they just say, hey, are your guys EPA certified? And the answer is yes, then they're good. Yeah, most should, of the time, should yes. be. Okay. Any other certifications they need to worry about? Not for that one. Not for that. Okay, cool. Well, that's the show, unless you guys want to say anything else. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of In the House. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe. Uh, do me a favor, go to iTunes and, and leave a review. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Rate it so that we know. If you think it sucks, let us know it sucks. So, but if you say that, at least tell us how we can get better. That would be uh, helpful. If it's me, just don't tell me that I suck. I'll cry. <laughs> that was Kevin. This episode is positive comments only. <laughs> <laughs> when I quit, if I quit getting invites from from Mike, I'll know I'm, I'm off. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guests, Dick, Kevin, Matt, for being here, Austin, co-producing behind the scenes, and everyone else that helps to make the show possible. If you'd like to know more about Any Hour Services, go to anyhourservices.com. I've been your host, Mike Wilson, and you've been listening to In the House. See ya.